You either love them or you hate them. Either way, welcome to the Away Fixture, your home for all things Premier League. I'm your host, Dakota Rock, coming at you from the Away section for stadiums across England. Hello and welcome to the Away Fixture. Before I start this episode, I want to take a moment and recognize Daryl Grove, one of the hosts of the Total Soccer Show and one of the pioneers along with his co-host, Taylor Rockwell, when it comes to soccer podcasting. Daryl has been battling cancer and has recently received the news that there is nothing more they can do for his battle. I want to send my thoughts and prayers to Daryl and also his family and friends. With cancer being a big thing in this world that has affected so many people, I would like to end this with a little language advice statement. So if you're listening around younger children, this will be the time to cover their ears and I will give you a couple seconds to do so. I hope that's enough time, so here it is. Fuck cancer. You never want to start an episode in this manner, but sometimes it's necessary. I want to thank all of my listeners who have been following this podcast and also welcome the listeners tuning in for the first time. This podcast has been a lot of fun week in and week out. If you are listening for the first time or if you are a longtime listener who hasn't yet, please go ahead and leave a rating if you like what you heard. Also, go follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at The Away Fixture. I am very active on both platforms and also love interacting with my followers and listeners. So now to get really into the episode, we're going to talk about the highlights of the weekend. Some of these will go into further detail later. The Merseyside Derby kicked us off, and from that game, we should have known we were in for a crazy weekend. Harry Kane and Son's dynamic duo continues, but West Ham made sure that they shared the spoils. Lanzini would make sure of that from his worldly of a goal in stoppage time. Aston Villa continues their red-hot start, staying undefeated with new boy Ross Barkley scoring the late winner against Leicester. This Villa team currently has the largest goal differential at plus 10 and the fewest goals against at 2. This Aston Villa is staying red-hot within the Premier League, and unbelievably so, no one could have predicted them to be in the top 3, yet alone the only undefeated team within the league at this point in time, while the bottom 4 continue to search each for their first wins of the year. Kun Aguero also had social media buzzing as well on Saturday during the game against Arsenal, and the European Premier League, which just broke on Tuesday, that news we will talk about in a little bit later. But let's get into it. The first topic is the Merseyside Derby. Before I get into all the drama of the Merseyside Derby this week, I want to go back and talk about derbies in general and what they mean to people who are involved with them and the fans surrounding them. Derbies are known for craziness. They're known for goals, rough tackles, and like we see each and every time, unpredictability. So what a derby is to some of my listeners who might not know, a derby is essentially a game played between two teams in the same city or within a very close proximity to each other. These are normally very highly anticipated rivalries or highly heated rivalries. For Americans who don't watch soccer, who don't watch European soccer, some games that could be considered a derby really are Duke Carolina in basketball. So that would be considered a derby in soccer in the soccer world. Michigan, Ohio State could also be another one if we're talking football. Those are two of the closest examples that I can think of outside of the soccer world. And what I did is I asked two of my friends who are actually the co-hosts of MLS Gone Wild, who actually just interviewed and released an episode with Tanner Tessman, a homegrown for FC Dallas, who is one of the most promising players within the American soccer world. I think he has a very bright future. It's a very good episode. I highly recommend going and listening to it. 
He talks about his time at Clemson on the football team and then his time at the U-20 team with Tab Ramos and on also his time at FC Dallas as well. But I asked one of the co-hosts, I asked two co-hosts out of the three. One of them's name is Blake. And he describes his Darby. So I asked him what a Darby meant to them, essentially. I asked them their feelings towards a Darby. And Blem is a Arsenal fan. He's also a huge Columbus Crew fan. Me and him grew up since we were really young. So I asked him what it meant to him. And I'm going to read a direct quote. He kind of went off in a little bit of a big quote. But I'm going to read it all just so you can get the main points that he's talking about. And then I'll kind of paraphrase it as well. So he goes, what does Darby Day mean to me? Darby Day is bad blood. Darby Day is bragging rights. Darby Day is hell is real for me. Columbus Crew versus FCC, which is FC Cincinnati. Growing up playing for youth crew teams, some of our biggest competition was Cincinnati United Premier. At that point, I was already a crew fan and attending games at a young age. Cincinnati didn't even have a pro team yet, but that rivalry was already brewing for me. Make that one hour trip down 71 South to Cincy and on your left hand side is hell is real sign. Both teams want to impose hell on one another. In the first competitive match they played, FCC knocked the crew out of the U.S. Open Cup. That was the day the Derby and bad blood began. Soccer is bigger than just a game. It's a way of life. Soccer is culture, so losing a Derby match is devastating. Ohio has always been black and gold, and you want to keep it that way. We had some Eastern Conference rivals essentially created by the MLS, but this one is a geographical war. On Derby days, I wake up fired up. I feel like I'm going to play in the match. I brew an extra couple cups of coffee. I scream a little bit louder. The game will even bring you to tears. While every game is important, Derby day is just bigger. It's a holiday. So there you have it. Those That's how Blake feels. It's definitely a holiday. It's definitely bigger than a normal game. And that's kind of what Blake is saying. And I'll kind of get into my feelings about Derby day in a little bit, being a Manchester United fan and our Derby's against City. The Manchester Derby is always huge to me. It's always one that I have circled multiple times on the calendar. I have earlier wake-ups that day. I have phone calls with family and friends involving the match, including my family over in England. So I know they're listening. So I'm very... It's it's a bigger day than you normally wake up to on a weekend. I'm going to get into another kid's. It's Delaney. Delaney is another co-host. He actually came on to the show at a later time. But nonetheless, Mike Delaney is a big impact and great co-host on this show. But Mike Delaney, who is also actually a Liverpool fan, so it was kind of essential that I got his opinion on this. But he says, Derby Day is always a little more special. It kind of feels a little like Christmas morning for me. The game is always heightened, and even though anyone can win on any given day in the Prem, it is especially so on Derby Day. Right now, it's going to be a little different without fans, which breaks my heart because the fans between these two teams are incredible. But I will still be just as excited to get up and watch. Everton-Liverpool is always a very physical match, and with Everton doing so well right now and Liverpool coming off one of their worst losses in club history, I think this one is going to be epic. Both teams have something to prove right now, whether it's Everton keeping form or Liverpool bouncing back. So you kind of get the idea from both of their quotes that the Derby Day is bigger than anything that you would normally watch on television. You would normally go to. It's a bigger game. It's a game that 
feels like a holiday. It's an epic game. Both of them actually said it in their quotes where it feels like Christmas morning or feels like a holiday. There's blood, bad blood between the two teams. There's bad blood between fans sometimes. Even though we all like to think the fans get along and it's not like Green Street Hooligans at all, it's not like Green Street Hooligans. But that doesn't mean they're all merrily and they love each other and they're holding hands singing kumbaya in between whistles and in at halftime and after the game and such. They're always going to be neighbors. They're always going to be heated rivalries between these two teams, between the fans when that time comes. And neither of the fans want to see the other team win. I don't know if you could ask any Everton fan if they ever loved seeing Liverpool win the league last year or the Champions League or anything like that. And I'm sure you can't find a Liverpool fan who are enjoying Everton having this much success right now, even though the Merseyside Derby was closer than it has been in years. So my thoughts and feelings on Derby Day is it's an amazing feeling. It's I've been to Old Trafford on Boxing Day years ago. I've been there, and but nothing is like a Derby Day. Boxing Day is very special. It's a very big day. I loved absolutely everything about Boxing Day at Old Trafford, and I don't even want to get into how I even got up there because that was a crazy story too. I almost actually missed the game because being an American, you're not over there for Boxing Day that often, and we didn't know how to get to Manchester. We had We had a plan going in, but we learned that the plan we had wasn't the plan that was going to work. So we actually caught last minute flights, changed everything last minute. And we actually got to the stadium maybe a minute into the game. So we almost missed it, but so glad I didn't because that atmosphere was absolutely amazing. But like they said, Derby days are always like, it feels like a holiday. You're always brewing extra cups of coffee. You're always getting more excited for the game. You're always getting into the game a little more. When tackles happen, you're getting into it. You're screaming at the TV a little bit louder. If you're at the stadium, you're screaming a little bit louder. You're singing a little bit louder. And I know everybody sings. It's the biggest thing and it's the most wonderful noise during a game is the singing and the chanting from the supporter sections. And you always do those things a little bit more and a little bit more, little bit with more heart on those days. And you're always looking for that unpredictability and that those rough ta- tackles and the goals. And you're looking for the excitement that comes with Derby days. So to get into the Merseyside Derby, Little background, Everton came into this match looking for their first win for 10 years in the Merseyside Derby. They haven't won or beaten Liverpool in this match for 10 years. That's 20 meetings essentially during the regular season plus whatever their meetings were within the Cups. But after a 2-2 draw, they are going to have to wait a few more months to break that skid. Apart from the 10 years and the 2-2 draw, this Derby had everything you could ask for. But the biggest talking point is Jordan Pickford's tackle on Virgil van Dijk. From the moment this tackle took place early in the match Saturday morning, you always were scared and you always were on edge wondering what the extent of Virgil van Dijk's injury was. It was confirmed by Liverpool early Monday morning after a lot of speculation that he did tear his ACL. He will be out for seven to eight months. I'm wishing a speedy recovery to VVD. You never want to see a player of any sort of caliber of on any team tear their ACL. I have had friends, I've had players go through ACL injuries. It's not fun and it's something that you never wish upon even your 
most hated rival. To get into the tackle, England's number one certainly didn't gain any admirers, catching Van Dyke high with a tackle that would ultimately send Virgil Van Dyke to the locker room and straight to the injured list. He came in high after the whistle had already been blown. The penalty was not given due to a proceeding offsides, which is fine, but a red card should certainly have been shown for the nasty tackle. I mean, this Michael Oliver, you're it was completely mind-boggling why you didn't even go look at this on the screen. David Cooty, who was the VAR assistant, didn't bring him over to the screen. The field level monitor and that's absolutely mind-boggling to me even if the preceding offside was there any foul or aggressive action after the whistle can still be penalized for a red card or yellow card depending on the nature of the incident with it happening after the whistle no matter what the referee should have taken a look at it the fact that Ricarlson got a red card for nearly half of a tackle that Pickford got off scot-free for I mean that's just something I will never understand and something that had Twitter up in a frenzy and rightly so coming from this incident though have been some wild comments and leading the way are julian lauren's comments on espn fc after the match stating that pickford should be banned for as long as virgil van dyke is out let's sink that let's let that sink in for a little bit pickford should be banned for as long as Virgil van Dyke is out. Virgil van Dyke is out for seven to eight months. I'm not sure where Julian Lawrence is came from with this, but certainly we can't be serious about this comment and about this idea, right? I mean, it's safe to say, yes, it was a dirty tackle. Yes, it was a nasty tackle. It was malice. Am I going to say Jordan Pickford absolutely meant to harm Virgil van Dyke in any certain way. I'm not going to say that 100%. I don't think he meant it as much as people are trying to say he did. I think he was just trying to make a save and he was very poorly judged for what he was doing. He poorly judged his tackle and it didn't come across and it didn't happen the way he initially planned in his mind. I don't think he meant to send Virgil van Dyke to the injury list for seven to eight months. I don't think he meant to tear his ACL. To say he meant to do that is kind of out there to say like, yes, it was a careless tackle, it was a nasty tackle, but to say he meant the harm that he put on Virgil van Dyke is might be a little blown out of proportion here. When it comes to banning Pickford for seven to eight months, or as long as Virgil van Dyke is out, I know it is safe to say without rattling off previous incidents that injuries do happen from tackles. And we've seen nasty tackles and not to the extent of being so obvious or blatant, but they go without anybody blowing it up to this this proportion. Some injuries might not be as severe, but we see reckless challenges all the time to which nobody calls out for bands as such as Julian is calling in for regards to Pickford. My thought process going through this is if we set this as our precedent and every time a player gets injured to an extent in a tackle or even lesser then we'll end we'll end up playing with Sunday league players soon like every tackle that puts a player out for a red card even if it's not meant the tackle the studs to the ankles where it's not meant it just sort of happens and it's a red card yes it's a ban yes but to say they should be out for three four months if you broke a guy's ankle or sprained a person's ankle it's just a little absurd i mean if we're doing that let me go get my resume and send it out to premier league clubs for a contract because sooner or later everybody's gonna run out of players and have nobody else to play with we'll be playing with sunday league players and it's just 
I think that idea is a little bit out there and I think we need to kind of slow this down because up until this point, any nasty tackle that has put players out, nobody has once said, oh, they should be banned as long as the injured person is out. But all of a sudden, Virgil van Dyke happens and Jordan Pickford gets the the short, the tackle, Jordan Pickford puts in the tackle that everybody's talking about and all of a sudden, oh, he should be banned for as long as Virgil van Dyke is out. When was this when anything else was, any other injury was taking place? And I think it's just, I think it's a lot of emotions coming coming up at the current moment. I think we need to realize that that's probably not the right idea. Jordan Pickford definitely deserved a red card in my opinion, a multiple game ban on top of that. But to say he deserves to be out for seven to eight months is just absolutely, I believe, being blown out of proportion. I think that's very severe and I think that's very, it's very uncalled for in my opinion. I think he should get multiple games on top of should have been red carded Everton should have been down to 10 men, but to say he deserves to be out for seven to eight months is just out there and something I do not agree with at all. Liverpool should have had a late game winner though from none other than Jordan Henderson when he smashes a goal home, but it gets overturned by VAR from an offside that might have been determined by a fingernail. You watch the VAR replay. We watched it all Saturday morning. We watch it over and over again because we still can't figure out how that was offside. Referee David Cootie, Michael Oliver, what are we doing? This needs to be figured out. That VAR was so close to the line. I'm not sure how you guys got a zoom in so close to that, to Jordan Henderson, that you could determine he was offsides. When I zoom in on camera angles, it becomes blurry at a point. So if you can get a clear zoom that close to see if his fingernail is offsides, please show me how because I want that device and I want that software on my phone so I can get a clear zoomed in picture from 100 yards away. Something has come from this match and all the controversy though, and it has been brought to light that the A-League down in Australia, they actually let you listen in on the referees' decisions when they go to VAR. And this is something that brings so much transparency to the situation and allows the viewers to know exactly what is going on. In my opinion, this would be the most fantastic move when it comes to soccer all over the world, not just the Premier League. Because we get these VAR decisions and we sit there pondering and scratching our heads as viewers, trying to figure out what exactly they see that we're not seeing because every time it goes to VAR unless it's very clear and obvious it always seems like the fans and the spectators have a different point of view and opinion than the referees do so maybe if we can learn what the referees point of view is and what they're talking about because we never end up actually learning what they see even after a game we don't learn about their decisions or their thought process if we can learn about their thought process and hear their thought process I think VAR can go a really long way and I think a lot of things can be determined and a lot of things can be talked about and learned from a spectator's point of view I think we can learn more about what the referees are seeing because every referee is different also not every referee is going to see one thing the same just like every coach every player everybody has a different point of view and we all have different thought processes that lead us to 
our decisions. So maybe if we can listen in on what the referees are thinking and their thought processes, a lot of transparency can be brought to this game and to the VAR. We're going to move on because that's not the only controversial thing that happened this weekend. None other than two hours later, or yeah, two hours later, I'm sorry, I'm trying to do the math to see when this game, how long this game took place after the Liverpool-Everton game, but we are going to go up to Manchester where Manchester City hosted Arsenal in this game. Manchester City would defeat Arsenal 1-0, leaving Blum a very sad Arsenal fan. Kun Aguero was the talking point though, had social media all up in arms we started to just finally relax from the Merseyside Derby drama on social media and then all of a sudden Kun Aguero goes and does this he pretty much said Jordan Pickford hold my beer and went to do this one Kun Aguero was seen grabbing Cyan Masi Ellis sorry if I'm mispronounced that the female lines woman during their game against arsenal after he thought she missed a call in the video you can clearly see kun aguero going up to her and kind of pinching her in the back of the neck putting his hands around the back of her neck this had received a lot of mixed reactions on social media that i've seen some are saying that she knew what she was signing up for and that she should get treated like every other referee Others are saying that because she is a female, this is definitely not okay and this is looked at in a magnifying lens because of that. So my opinion on this, and I have been around soccer for a long time. I played all my life. I played through college. I am now in my fifth year of college coaching. I've coached at the youth level as well. I've coached both boys and girls, men and women. I've coached, I've played against women. I've played with women in Sunday league games. But to me, no referee should ever be touched in any certain way except for at the beginning and the end of a game when you're shaking their hands when you're saying good job or thank you for refereeing no other time during 90 minutes should a referee ever be touched whether they're male or female in no world should we be okay with players touching a referee and the sad part is sometimes we overlook this when it's a male referee sometimes we look at it as oh it's fine it's but it's not touching a referee is usually followed by a yellow card unless deemed aggressive and not only because she's a female but Kunaguero grabbing a referee like that in any gender should be deemed aggressive you're going up to them and you're pinching the back of their neck and putting your hand around their neck pretty much but oh let's go to the presser after the game when we're asking pep about the situation and pep goes in quotes come on guys sergio is the nicest person i have ever met in my life look look for problems in other situations not in this one pep just because he's a nice guy doesn't mean that he should be able to do this. That's like me saying, oh, I'm a nice guy, so let me go do whatever I want to. Just because I'm a nice guy, you like, Pep, how are you defending this? How is anybody defending this in any certain way? Think about this. Put it in this terms. If Massey Ellis was your daughter and Kunaguero comes up and pinches the back of her neck, would you be okay with it? Please answer me that. Please let me know if you would be okay if Sergio Aguero came up or any guy, any male gender, any person of the male gender, go up to your daughter in any situation, whether she's refing or whether she's just out on the street and they grab her and pinch her by the back of the neck like Kun Aguero did to Massey Ellis. Please tell me if you'd be okay with it because I guarantee 100% of you will say, no, I would not be okay with it. But yet we're okay with Kun Aguero doing this. And I've seen the quotes on Twitter. You see that people are okay with this action taking place. But I bet if they put their shoe, put their 
feet in someone else's shoes and put put it in a way where if Massey Ellis was your daughter, nobody would be okay with it. I don't care who you are. You can try all you want to to tell me that you would be okay with it, and I will call you out on that lie every damn time because there's no way you would be. And if you're telling me you would be and you truly mean you would be, you need to go talk to somebody and get that figured out because that is not the way that we should be raising our sons or future sons to respect and to act towards the female gender. That is absolutely uncalled for and it should never happen. And no player should ever grab anybody like that. Whether you're a male referee or a female referee, no player should be grabbing a referee by the back of the neck and pinching their hand, pinching their neck like he did just because of a missed call. You have 90 minutes in that game. She missed one call that you think at least, but that one call has no need to go up and grab her like that or any referee. No referee should be touched, and that's final. That's all I'm saying. If any of my players ever touched a referee in the way he touched Massey Ellis, whether male or female, they would be done for that game, and then we will reassess the situation after that, but no player should be able to do that, and the sad part is Aguero is deemed to go unpunished by the FA. How? How is he going unpunished by the FA for an action like this? And I don't know. I I know you could say, well, you didn't give that opinion of Jordan Pickford. Jordan Pickford should be banned for multiple games. I don't know if the FA has come out with a determination of that or not yet. I have not seen, but I have seen Aguero will go unpunished. And that is absolutely uncalled for. And somebody needs to do something about this or it's just going to keep happening. Female referees are breaking through the gender barrier when it comes to the professional game. And if we don't put an end to this now, if we let players see and get away with Kun Aguero, what he did, it's going to set a precedent that is going to allow other players to do this. And it's absolutely uncalled for and we cannot let that happen. So please, FA, I'm asking you to please take, please reconsider your decision about this and take action because this cannot be set as a precedent going forward when we have so many female referees coming through the gender barrier. In other news, we're going to leave Manchester. We're going to go into the whole of Europe because breaking news on Tuesday was that there is a European Premier League in discussion. So a week after the Project Bigger Picture which would have changed the Premier League within England. We are now talking about a European Premier League within all of Europe. And I don't know if there's a lot of set in stone facts about this league yet, but essentially what I've been able to find is essentially it would be a league made up of the best teams in England, France, Germany, Italy, and Spain. About 18 to 20 teams within this league. The top place teams within this league would play in a knockout tournament. It could take place of the Champions League. So instead of the Champions League, we would see the European Premier League. Each club would play 30 matches a season on top of their already existing domestic schedules and league. JP Morgan are in talks to to provide 4.6 billion pounds in funding. And for my friends who are dollars and they don't feel like doing the uh, conversion, that's $6 billion. The current Champions League format is locked into place until 2024, however. So what this is, is essentially a domestic league, but all of Europe. So you would play a round robin, you would play each team twice within this league, and then depending on the top teams or how many, however many top teams they determine would play in a knockout tournament after the season. My thoughts on this is why? Just just why? Why? Why are we doing this to ourselves? Why all of a sudden is nothing good enough 
for these big-time clubs. It's not like the big-time clubs have anything to worry about within the Champions League from smaller clubs in countries that only send one and they have to go through qualifying. Like, it's not like they have to worry about them. They win the league. They win the Champions League every year. The big clubs win it. I can't remember the last time a small club won the Champions League. And I don't think if they ever have, except when the game was totally different. But to me, the magic of the Champions League would be taken away because the smaller countries would not be represented. Yes, they might get absolutely battered every time they play in this competition, but they deserve to be in it nonetheless. They deserve to be in it with the best of the best in Europe, just like everybody else, just like every other champion and every other qualifying team within each of their domestic leagues. They deserve to be there. 30 games is also so boring. The Champions League is set up so perfectly right now. You have the round robins. You have six round robin games. You go into the knockout stages where they're two-legged. And then you have the single-legged final. And that's just, it's perfect. And there's some reasons why. It's 30 games is, that's too many games on top of what they are already playing. The current format is concise and structured in a way to keep everything entertaining and not let it get overdrawn. With the Champions League format now, you get to see the best players play every game against others, and there is minimum room to rest your best players in those matches. In this type of formation format, where if we go to the 30 games, I fear that the domestic league might overtake and we would see a lot more rotation, which would defeat the purpose of the Champions League. The best part about the Champions League, in my opinion, is outside of maybe the last group stage game you see the best players on each team play against each other you don't see teams rotating in and out and if you go to a table style format you're gonna see that a lot more you're gonna see teams resting players because they essentially have 29 other matches where they can get points back and gain gain on the leaders if they need to but in a champions league where they're only playing six group stage games and then essentially up to seven seven or nine knockout stage games you're seeing the best of the best there's no room to really rotate your players there's no room to rest your best players so you're getting the Neymars against the Cavani's you're getting the Marcus Rashford's against the Cristiano Ronaldo's you're getting the best of the best and to me that's what the Champions League should be it should be the best of the best going up against each other each and every time outside of maybe one or two games not 30 games where you can take out the best of the best and you can just rotate players in and out there's too much of that already in the domestic leagues which rightly so I mean I'm not saying you shouldn't rotate your players but within the Champions League you're wanting to see the best of the best and with the 30 matches in the round robin I feel like there's going to be a lot more room to rotate players and that's not you want that's not what you want to see as a fan that's not what you want to see as a spectator so (laughs) fingers crossed I hope the European Premier League does not go through I really do. I think it would be terrible for the sport. I I love the Champions League as it is, and I love watching the best of the best play against each other, and I don't think a European Premier League is going to be where we're going to see the best of the best. So we're going to wrap it up. Speaking so speaking of cancer, at the beginning of the episode, we are in the waning days of October, which means No Shave November is coming up on us quickly. 
No Shave November is a big month that results in men all over the world growing facial hair. Or if you're like me, you're at least attempting to grow facial hair because you weren't born with that special gene that allows you to grow good-looking facial hair. So it's kind of patchy and it looks kind of bad. So after about two weeks, you give up anyway. No Shave November is not just fun and games though. It is a time to grow awareness and raise donations for the fight against prostate cancer. Two of my close followers, one who I have actually heard can recite my entire intro by heart already. And I've only been on this for about eight weeks now. If he can recite it already, we might have to test that out soon. Um, but they are embarking on a journey themselves this November and growing mustaches, and they're actually supporting the cause for prostate cancer. They're looking to take donations, and they actually are doing a donation ladder with each of the amounts you donate. So each amount you donate, you get a certain prize. They're actually, I've seen the prizes. They're actually pretty funny and pretty cool. Um, they're not like serious prizes, but it's funny i mean like they're fun prizes that are gonna give you laughs they're gonna be enjoyable they're gonna like just they're not normal prizes that you would think of but i have actually heard from some inside intel that they are working on a super cool one for a certain amount of money but this one still needs some details worked out but it's a super cool prize if it does come to into fruition i highly recommend it because it's going to be cool and i promise you that once again please go give this a rating review on the platforms that you are listening to on it this helps me out more than you guys think also go hit the retweet button on social media or post it to your story on instagram if you do not follow me already go follow the away fixture on both instagram and twitter as I'm daily posting and love to interact with my followers on both of these sites. Also, keep your eyes out this week, guys. I got something really cool in mind. This week, I will be running a bracket-styled poll involving the new kits that the Premier League clubs have been wearing to discuss on my episode next week. So keep an eye out for that, and do not forget to cast your votes. Well, that's it for this week of the Away Fixture, guys. Once again, I want to send my thoughts and prayers out to Daryl Grove along with his family and friends and thank him for paving the way for not only me, but for the many other amateur and professional soccer podcasters. Until next time, my friends. Hey!